Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. We're on episode number 82, and I'm here today with, I'm Christine Heath, <laughs> coming to you from Hawaii, and I'm here today with my very, very good friend, best friend, and uh, most favorite colleague, Judy Sedgman. And I'm so happy every time she says that, my little heart goes pound, pound, pound. <laughs> I'm so lucky to have you as a friend. I can't tell you. I feel so, so, so much gratitude about that, which is reminds me is another good um, topic for us is gratitude. Um, but today we're going to talk about how traditional therapy, traditional psychology can depend, create a dependence on the therapist in spite of the therapist not wanting that to happen. And I know for me, I was definitely got caught up in this. I had, um, you know, a lot of clients and most of them were very insecure people who had been sexually traumatized in their families or growing up as children or were um, in domestic violence situations. And I did everything I could to help them to get stronger, to be uh, more confident in themselves, to trust themselves, to do things on their own, to get away from the abusive situations they were in. I mean, I, that was my whole goal was to help them to get stronger. The problem with that is, is that it was me helping them get stronger rather than me seeing that they were already strong. And as a result of that, I'd have to problem solve with them a lot. And so they would, of course, given the level of the state of mind they were in, the level of consciousness they were living at, they would have lots of dramas in their life. There are lots of lots of uh, bad things happening with their families, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they would call me frequently in a state of anxiety or depression because someone said something to them or someone mistreated them or something happened. And I would, at the end of my day, now this is back in the day before you had voicemail, where the way that you got a message from a client is they would call your secretary. The secretary would write it on a little piece of paper and put it in your box. And at the end of, after seeing clients for the day, I would go home with a stack of, of uh, little phone, phone notes with the client's name and number, and I would call them back and talk them through whatever their trauma was. And it was like, that's just what I did. I mean, I was there to help them. I was there to get them through this. And they needed my assistance to get calmer, to handle things and to use their common sense. And I had no clue how dependent people were on me to figure out their problems, which is interesting because at the time I had enough of my own that I couldn't (laughs) figure out, right? So here I am telling other people, and I remember, like, I'd make up stuff, right? Like, okay, do this or do that. And I had no really idea what they should do, but I thought it was my job to tell them what to do. 
to help them problem solve it. And it was funny because after I learned the principles, I had the same clients. Like I maybe had three clients that dropped away. That's probably about it. And it was like the a month after I introduced uh, the principles to the, my clients and I started working from a different place and I got into a healthier state of mind and the feeling in the groups went from crying and sad and remorse, grieving groups to peals of laughter. I realized that I no longer had crisis calls. <laughs> and my my number of clients in crisis dropped from a stack a night to one or two a month. Now, that's pretty dramatic. And I was kind of like, wow, I had no idea that what I was doing was garnering a dependence on me because in my mind, I was telling them they could do it. But yet I was responding to them in a way that made it seem like they had to have me tell them what to do or to help them do it in some way. So that was really a big, that was a big shocker to me. And, and I see that in the clinic that we have now. I mean, we have emergencies, but very few, given the amount of clients that we have, very few emergencies. And it's, um, it, it's amazing, really, how people are satisfied with their therapy, very positive about their therapy and the outcome, and they stop having major meltdowns and crises. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot better because, you know, I actually got a life after that. Instead of coming home and working for another four hours making phone calls, I could come home and have dinner, relax, have a nice evening, and have a life of my own. <laughs> That's really wonderful. You know, I think about that and I think about that. That's the therapy side of what happened to me as a consultant. You know, I realized that I was trying to fix, I was a medical practice management consultant. I was trying to fix my doctor's practices. And even though I knew what they needed to do, in my mind, it would have worked fine. If it had been my practice, it would have worked, you know, but I suddenly realized they know what to do. They just don't know how to find it. They don't know how to find it in themselves. They'll have better ideas than I'll ever have because they live it every day. And I, I shouldn't be ever telling them ideas about what to do. I should be helping them to find the answer for themselves. And um, my whole experience of my business changed as soon as I had that shift in me. Because instead of disempowering people and trying to be the smart person in the room, I was empowering them. And I, and it, I really can't explain it. It just it was an insight. When I, once I had that insight, my whole demeanor and attitude and feeling about my clients changed. And whatever came out of my mouth was very different. And that's what happens when, you're, when you, see, you see the health in yourself and then you see it in other people. And you see that it is universally true that everybody has that same wisdom and that same <clears throat> ability. And you don't, you don't need each other, but you can, you can kind of play off of each other instead of turning into a, what, what, what should I do? Oh, help me. You know, I'm stuck. I don't know how to think this through. Oh, well, try this, try this. It turns into, Hey, I had an idea. I want to run past you. And then you ask a question and the person goes, Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good question. And then they say, well, how about this? You know, and it would, it would be an elevating conversation 
And I see the same thing happen with clients now in, in uh, counseling that, that uh, somebody will say to me, well, do you think I should, uh, you know, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should leave this job? I mean, I'm being harassed at work and all these terrible things are happening. I'm going, like, I don't know. Do you want to leave the job? Well, I like the job. I just don't like the people. Well, do you think you could ever get to like the people? Well, I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's, let's explore the I don't know thing. You know, I mean, that's a whole different thing than saying, oh, absolutely, you should not put up with that. You know? <laughs> and, you know, it's subtle. It's, to me, Chris, it's very subtle because clients, they don't really know what hit them, you know, when they start having their own ideas. And then you're just encouraging them to quiet down and think deeper and see where it takes them. Um, they, they just, they, at first they want to attribute it to you, but you didn't think of it. They did. And they realize that. And then, and then they, you know, then you say, you know, I think you're, you're done. You're fine. You know, just go live your life, have a nice life. And they're like, yeah, I can do it. (laughs) But it's a shock. They've been in the habit of, you know, always having somebody to give them advice. Yeah. It's advice or it's um, like we were talking about last week. It's solving problems. Well, if you like, I have clients, sometimes I notice this, that they'll come in and they'll say, okay, I thought about what I wanted to talk about in therapy today. It's like, okay. And then they'll go, but I forgot what it was. I was like, <laughs> okay. So, so I said, I always say to them, I said, so let's talk about the purpose of therapy. And they go, well, what do you mean? And I said, because it sounds to me like you think that therapy is a good place for you to come and to solve your problems. And that's why you, like the week before that, they said, well, I don't have any problems, so I was going to cancel today. You know, so these two weeks, it tells me that your focus is on changing the problems in your life rather than seeing that you don't have problems in your life, right? Like we have opportunities to change and we can do things differently, but really looking at life as a problem is a habit. And that habit keeps you finding problems because you can make up a problem out of anything. Believe me, in the 45 years I've been a therapist, people can make a problem out of just about anything. And it seems very real to you. It seems very important. It seems like it needs to be solved because that's how we're trained. We're all programmed to think that if we fix what's wrong in our life, we'll feel happy, we'll feel better. But the deal is we're seeing what's wrong and when you're not in that state of mind you don't see it so is it real or is it not so when you're in a in a low mood you got a lot of problems to talk about you got a lot of interactions that are bad you have a lot of bad feelings you have a lot of stress you have a lot of things to think about as you get healthy you find that those things drop away so what we do when we work with people is we help them to see how that works how their state of mind changes the appearance of problems, changes the uh, what's going, literally how they're seeing what's going on in their life. And then we show them that they have the answers and we don't really know what they should do because we don't. I mean, like I said, I have a hard enough time thinking about what I should do, let alone <laughs> think about what somebody else should do. But yeah. we all have the same abilities to do that. So just because we know that, we talk differently with clients. We, we have a different experience, and they can feel that in the first session. 
they generally feel better. I mean, I can do an intake, which basically looks at what's wrong in your life because I have to get this stuff for the insurance company, but I do it in such a way that people leave and they feel better. It's like, okay, great. Yeah. You know, I did nothing. But I have to keep remembering that I can't fix them and they have to know that I can't fix them. And once you get that clear with the client, you get a contract with them that they just have to awaken to their health. And as they do that, they get better eyes on what to do to live their life differently. Yeah, it, you know, it was really shocking to me. I, I first learned about this from um, Dr. Bill Pettit because he was a client of my medical practice management business. And that's how I stumbled into it. And so he offered me the opportunity to talk to some of his graduated clients um, if I wanted to, because I was so, and I, I just couldn't believe what, 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 I saw, you know, I was seeing this office that was so different, but I just couldn't believe it. And the first person I talked to was a woman who had been schizophrenic for, um, well, and then she became agoraphobic. So for 25 years, she had this thing in her head that was telling her she couldn't leave her house and she hadn't left the house for 25 years. Her daughter came and lived with her and took care of her. And she, she stayed, she walked around the house. She didn't stay in one room, but she couldn't leave the house. Well, she had this, what apparently was a panic attack, but her daughter thought it was a heart attack and called an ambulance. And when she got in the ambulance, she was just going insane from not, they were pulling her out of the house and they had to sedate her. And so they called a psychiatric consult. And so she talked to Bill in the hospital a couple of times. And then she, they discovered it was a panic attack in her home. And um, she kept seeing Dr. Pettit. She left her house and went to his office. And she's telling me this. And I said, wait a minute. So you went to see Dr. Pettit after you got out of the hospital? And she said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, how did that happen after all these years that you wouldn't leave your house? She said, I, I can't explain it. And I said, well, what did he do? She said, well, the funny thing is he didn't do much. I mean, I was in the hospital. He gave me this little book by some man, Sydney, somebody called Second Chance. And I read that little book. And she said, and then he told me that book might be inspiring. and." I had nothing else to do in the hospital anyway. She said, I was reading that little book and I thought, I've been scaring myself to death my whole life. I don't really need to do that. And she said, isn't that interesting? I just thought that and I thought, oh, well, then I'm just not going to do it anymore. Now, that's almost miraculous, but this is what the woman said to me. And I was like, so just like that. She said, well, yeah, I mean, I have to get off my medications and stuff like that, but she said, so Dr. Pettit's office is really just a few blocks from the place that I live. And so I started thinking, well, I could walk up to his office. I don't have to get in a car or anything. And then I started going to group. And I said, well, how many weeks have you been, months have you been seeing Dr. Pettit? She said, oh, no, it's not been months, honey. It's been about six weeks. <sighs> and I said, so this is hard for me to believe. And she said, me too. And I said, well, what is he doing for you? And she said, I, I can't tell you. She said, we have the nicest conversations. And he's told me a lot about how thought works. It's been very interesting. But she said, it's never about me. It's just, it's about life. And, and I've just been suddenly realizing that I just was fooling myself with all these scary thoughts. And I was, I couldn't believe it. 
but it was the nice lady sitting right in front of me. She was not a paid actor, you know, and, uh, and over and over again, I kept hearing that story. And I, I remember thinking, how do these people find it? You know, what, what do you, is there like, how do you, what's the secret to get him to find it? So finally I got up my nerve and I asked Bill that I said, well, how do you, what do you tell them to get them to find it? And he said, well, they haven't lost it. <laughs> it's just, they haven't looked at it for a while. And I thought, oh, okay. But that was, you know, to me, while that sounds almost unbelievable now because of all these years, it doesn't seem unbelievable at all. But sometimes when we tell these stories, people go, that can't possibly be true. But I honestly, if you talk to some clients that have been involved in this work, over and over, you'll hear the same thing. I don't know. I suddenly realized or I saw or it just occurred to me. And, I did, and then I saw that, oh, my goodness, my thinking is, is I'm making all this stuff up. And, you know, that's just such an incredibly freeing moment. So there isn't anything, there isn't a technique or anything to do except to know that people have that inside them and trust it and to have, to know to look there and not look around at what's wrong and what are you making up when you're upset. And the other thing it does by knowing that is it doesn't matter what they present with. You know, yes. so if a person comes in and they're talking to you and you think, oh, this is, this person has a personality disorder or they have, they're a, an, an alcoholic or there's something else that you have a thought about, then that's what you're seeing and that's what you're going to treat because you're creating your own insecurity from your thoughts about the person. Now, if what you see is a person that comes in and you see the person is healthy, then it's, it's like, okay, let's see how I can, I can uncover this for them. Let's see how I can point them in the direction so they can uncover it is really what I should have said. Because that's, that's where the, the power is, is when they get an insight, you never know what the insight's going to be. So you as a therapist can't do it. You have to really trust that their wisdom will take them back to that and that they'll wake up to it. And if you trust that because you know it in yourself, then you can talk to anybody. But if you're trying to problem solve with them and you get somebody that's in a really bad state of mind and their thinking is all over the place, there's no way you ever come to the end of your problems. And it is a pain to have to try to problem solve with them because they fight it all the way. Their thinking just adjusts, you know, so that you can't ever get through to it. And that's what happens to a lot of therapists, but they, so they keep telling the person that they got to have solve all their problems before they can be happy. It's, it's just backwards. You have to go to being happy and then your problems disappear. So it's a lot easier when you do it that way. And if they don't disappear, you see what you need to do to clean up whatever mess you've made or whatever things are going on in your life. Yeah. But there's a real difference when that happens when you point out the illusion of thought and how thinking creates a, a, the illusion that the outside world makes you feel better as in with the therapist or feel worse, as in with your problems, yeah. then you realize that, oh, it has nothing to do with either of those things. My good feeling has to do with how much awareness I have the, uh, that of how my thinking works in the moment and the fact that I have innate mental health. 
And if I know that, I can go back to it. You know, yeah. I had a, let me just tell you this quick story. In the, I, I'm doing these um, groups for men who are violent. And this guy got out of prison. He'd been in the prison for, I think, 13 years on some robbery or, I don't know, assault charge or something. And um, he's just a regular guy, just sitting, he's in the halfway house and just doesn't want to go back to prison. That's the only reason that he's coming to this group. He's mandated, but, you know, he and he is listening. And I was talking about how our thoughts trick us into doing things that we don't really want to do or things that we don't, that we know are bad ideas. And, and he said, you mean all this time uh, my thoughts have just been tricking me? I said, yeah, that's right. He goes, oh, it's so simple. I said, yeah, it is so simple. And, you know, since that time, he comes every week. He's listening. He's getting insights. He's changing. I mean, truly, if you looked at his case file, I'm sure you'd say, not going to happen. He'll go back to prison. But it, there's something happening in him that's beyond me and beyond anything that's that's going on in the group. But there's something happening and he's awakening. And then what happens is the other guys suddenly like get big ears, like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on with him? You know, and then they're like less defensive and then they start listening and they calm down. And this whole whole another culture starts to develop in this group. And, you know, in the beginning they were like, walking around, going to the bathroom, cooking their kids dinner, driving their car. I mean, so inattentive and and not really focused on listening and, and being present. But the whole feeling of the group has changed. And that's the thing that happens as people get more secure in themselves. They don't need you the same way. They might, it's fun to talk to somebody to go deeper and to, to learn more. But once you get that shift and a person recognizes that they are what they're looking for, you, they don't need you anymore. Yeah. They're free. They're free of therapy. They're free of needing somebody else to tell them what to do. And they start to trust themselves. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, Chris, that reminded me, your story reminded me, and I know you remember this guy that spoke at, the, at a conference years ago in Minneapolis that had been um, a petty thief his whole life, and he had been in prison, in and out of prison, for the first half of his adult life. And uh, now he had a good job, and he was, and so on, and he had gone to a, a principal's class in prison. And nobody nobody figured out who this guy was. He comes up to the podium, looks like a social worker or somebody, you know, just anybody. And he puts his wallet down, his keys down on the podium, and he says, you know whose wallet this is? And everybody's looking around. He says, "This is my wallet." But he said, "You know, five years ago, that would have been your wallet. <laughs> you know, whose keys they are, and so on and so forth." And then he tells a story, and he said he went to this group, and he said, "I'm sitting there in the group, and suddenly, I had the thought. Well, everybody has criminal thoughts sometimes, but only criminals take them seriously." <laughs> I've never forgotten that line, and that was like the insight that set him free. That it was okay to have those thoughts. You just don't have to act on them. You know, you recognize, oh no, that's not one of the good ones. You know? Right. And <laughs> but that was a that was a funny moment. But that's how simple it is when 
people get their own insight and you get the insight that's going to work for you. You know, you get the insight that's that's giving you in, in the language that you can understand. And I've noticed that so much when people say, you know, that what they, the thought they suddenly had that made them suddenly shift. And you think, oh, I would have never thought of that. Well, it has nothing to do with my life, you know, but that's the thought that set him free. And now he had a great job and he was talking at a three principles conference and um, he'd had the rest of his haircuts. He said, for the first half of my adult life, I never had a haircut outside of prison because I wasn't out of prison long enough for my hair to grow. <laughs> so tell you the real stories. We try to tell you these real stories because it is that simple for people when they calm down and they get that insight. And when, when you work from that model of trusting that the person has strong and has their own answers, your job is a lot easier. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you're a therapist, you know, take a look at it. Come, come hang out with us. We, we do three principles, uh, the psychology as a backwards of programs on Wednesday and Thursday. You can come join us, ask any questions you want. And uh, we, we'd love to have you, but Trust me, it, it's amazing the power behind health in you and in the client. And what you do then is you actually are able to achieve what you wanted to do, which was to have them be relying on themselves, to have them be able to answer their own questions and to have them solve their own problems. Because that's what we all want to do. That's why we go into this business is to help people, not to, to do it for them. Right. Well, that's Another another session has passed. That's a wrap for this week. A wrap for this week. So thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon. Oh, one more thing. Let's just do a little commercial. On the 19th of um, June, there's going to be a conference in London that's going to be virtual and in person. And it's the um, 17th, 18th, and 19th, and it's uh, 3puk.com if you're interested in going. Judy will be speaking several times. <laughs> I am not speaking there because they want me to speak at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I think I'm not going to do that. But um, there's wonderful speakers. The best teachers in the world will be speaking there, and you're, you're going to really love it. And there's a lot of different discussion um, this year about um, the three principles and how it relates to the rest of the world. So if you're interested, come and join us. Yeah. And you don't have to join at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's just Chris is no. in Hawaii. The yeah, in you, <laughs> if you do it online, you can watch it any, anywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're in London, go in person if you're vaccinated and you're careful. But, you know, you can, you can go and um, I forget who's all going to be there in person, but Bill Pettit, Dr. Bill William Pettit, um, Marina Galan, Rob Cook, um, Dick and Bettinger. Um, is Mark going to be there in person? I don't know. Mark Howard? But anyway, a lot of people will be a there. Lot of and people will be there. Yeah. And, and uh, the people online will be visible to the people that are there, and the people that are watching online will see everything too. Yeah. Yeah. So until then, we'll see you next week. Okay. Have a great Aloha. week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 